Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Advanced Route, where we bring stats and scouting together to help you win your fantasy leagues just a few weeks away from the start of the regular season, really in the heart of draft season. So now things are starting to get serious. I'm your host, Michael Beller, joined as always by my co-host, Emery Hunt. Emery, how are you doing today? I am doing fine, Mike, and always a pleasure to join and talk shop with you, especially we've been hitting some fire the last couple of episodes. Yeah, and I think we're going to keep that going this week. Also, uh, we are recording this on a Tuesday afternoon, uh, which is good. We've been doing this mostly on Wednesdays and putting these out on Wednesday nights. But just a programming note, once the regular season starts, we are going to be doing this every Tuesday regularly during the regular season. That'll start Tuesday, September 3rd. This is just a uh, special Tuesday uh, schedule conflict episode uh, that we've got going. But once the regular season begins, we will be going on Tuesday. So nice to get our uh, Tuesday sea legs ready, right, Emery? Exactly. You want to try things out before you get out there and run it full speed during the season. So this is our preseason, and we're you know testing this out, and I think it's going to work fine. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be really good, and uh, yeah, it's a nice transition into the actual show there because uh, we've got a uh, a new old face back on the board here in the fantasy football world, in the NFL world, and they're going to have to try some things out with him to get him up to speed. I am talking, of course, about Josh Gordon, who is reinstated and will be playing NFL football for sure this year for the New England Patriots. Emery, you wrote a column about Josh Gordon and what he brings to the table, how he uh, changes New England's offense and what he provides uh, from a fantasy perspective. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit more depth, but I want to start out uh, just as a uh, way to set the table for Josh Gordon. You are sitting down to draft a fantasy football team. You are looking at the wide receiver rankings. Where do you slot Josh Gordon? Are we talking about a top 10 guy, a top 20 guy, a top 30 guy? Where do you think he fits in? Well, I think Josh Gordon is a top 30 guy, in my opinion. But I, I do realize this. If I'm drafting Josh Gordon, I'm drafting him with full expectation to trade him pretty quickly. Um, because I know for, I don't know, I won't say for a fact, but I do know New England will get him the football early and often in, in a ball game in the early parts of the season. And then when his value is so high, then you want to move off on them based off how your team is constructed. You may need a tailback. You may need a tight end. You may want to get a more consistent wide receiver three or what have you. Gordon is the best piece, the best move piece, chess piece, or trading uh, piece that you can, you know, move for a, a good a good player. Because right now, you're banking on him having one to two really good games, get everybody to talk about him, and then you trade him. So you don't think he's trustworthy no matter what happens early in the season? If consistency is of any indication, then you can't trust him. Because if we go back to his last full season was 2012, his rookie year. Then he played 14 games in 2013, his breakout season, all pro year, 14, uh, 1,600 yards and uh, nine touchdowns. After that, five games. Then he missed two seasons. 2017 came back five games. Then he played one with the Browns before being traded, 12 games with the Patriots before getting suspended for the rest of that season. So if consistency is something that you, you are hanging your hats on and, and completely are bought into, then you can't trust him for a full 16. So why have him on your fantasy roster for a full 16? 
It's definitely something that has to be part of the calculus with Josh Gordon, with really every single uh, guy, whether they've been suspended five times or zero times and then injured three times or zero times is the risk that is associated with having them on your team, with spending a uh, a relatively high pick, which Josh Gordon's going to be now in drafts over the next couple of weeks uh, on your team. What I want to ask you, though, Emery, from your standpoint, is you, uh, with your very smart football eyes and brain, sit and watch a game. What do you need to see Josh Gordon doing when you see, let me put it this way. When you see Josh Gordon do what will you know that he is uh, back to being that game breaking receiver that we all know he can be. You want to see him take a short pass a long way. I mean, he has legit game breaking speed. So when you watch him run, you want to see if he's able to stack and accelerate a cornerback, which means if he beats him off the line, he jumps right back in front of him and starts to pull away and create, even more separation and track the ball. Uh, Or you want to see him catch that little short in route or slant and then house that thing like we've seen Odell Beckham do a couple times throughout his career. So you want to see him regain that level of explosiveness, that level of burst. And then you can say, okay, even at 28 years old, he still has another five, six, seven years left in the tank to really play at a higher level. So you're more excited about him taking a five-yard slant and 75 yards beyond that to the house rather than making one big play down like a contested catch down the field. You think the the better sign for Josh Gordon early on is if he's turning those short passes into big gains? Right, because I know he can catch those 50-50 balls and and be a, a red zone threat. That is a given, you know, given how well he's able to, to, you know, snatch the ball at his highest point. He's got really strong hands, and he can play high post really well. I want to see him master those little things that's, that made you really fall in love with his talent back in 2013. Uh, uh, what is the the effect on the New England offense uh, as a whole? And we'll, we'll obviously, we're not done talking about Josh Gordon uh, individually, but what is the effect on the New England group? Um, uh, let's start with the wide receivers. Uh, when you look at this fantasy picture, a lot of people were excited about Julian Edelman maybe getting more targets, even more than he already was going to get, and even more than he got. Uh, previously because of Rob Gronkowski's presence. Uh, Gronk obviously gone. Is that still going to be the same for Julian Edelman, or do we need to start thinking about him as maybe not having the target upside that we thought he had coming into the year? Edelman is going to be Edelman regardless. So his target you know, output won't change uh, because he seems to be Brady's safety blanket, and he's going to probably take the place of Rob Gronkowski in that regard in the sense that, okay, I know I can go to Edelman, at any point in time in this play, any point in time in the drive, any point in time in the game. So I don't think his status will stay unchanged. Having Josh Gordon, I think, honestly creates more opportunities for Edelman and also allows Nikhil Harry and maybe even Jacoby Myers, the other rookie, the undrafted guy out of NC State, to be brought along slowly and really master a role as a, as a potential um, playmaking piece. So instead of counting on Nikhil Harry down and down out to be your number two or your number one, you can have him as your number three and allow him to slowly integrate himself into the offense, slowly integrate himself into the speed and the savvy of the NFL. And that way he can allow his playmaking skills to take uh, take face or show face. And that that way, by you know the end of the season, when you're really not banking on um, Josh Gordon, you're starting to see an emerging Nikhil Harry or an emerging Jacoby Myers. So I think having Gordon right now 
kind of helps them overall as a receiving core because it's going to free up more opportunities for Julian Edelman to eat like he's always done. But it's going to allow those young guys to develop at a nat- a more natural pace. And then by the toward the end of the season, middle to the end of the season, they won't have to hit a rookie wall. They're probably going to be hitting that rookie stride uh, toward week eight or nine. Okay, really quick before I dive into Harry a little bit more. So you're saying Julian Edelman stock up with Josh Gordon on the field. First, he has to get on the field, number one, Julian right. Edelman. Uh, but all things being equal, if he's out there, yes, his stock is up because he's still going to be the same guy. Okay, now with Nikhil Harry, I hear everything you're saying, and everything you're saying sounds uh, not only logical, but great from a real-life standpoint. If I am a Patriots fan, if I am uh, on the Patriots, then I am very happy about Josh Gordon giving Nikhil Harry that sort of breathing room early in the season to acclimate himself to the league. As a fantasy player, it makes me think stock down because the opportunity just isn't there with Josh Gordon on the field. Do you think that that's true, or do you think that there's a way to look at this as a positive, purely as a fantasy thing, for Nikhil Harry? Yeah, I think from a fantasy standpoint, it's going to be maybe stock down, you know, because you're going to have to get Gordon out there, and Edelman is going to be your, you know, he's your dependable receiver. So I would say stock down slightly where you probably was going to, let's say post-draft, right? You know, uh, so late April, when they took Nikhil Harry in the first round, everybody was thinking, okay, he's the number one. Edelman can be the Edelman role. Whether you want to classify Edelman as a number one or number two, everyone loved Harry because of what he brought to the table as a a pure, uh, a good all-around receiver. So now with Josh Gordon back in the mix, you don't have to put Harry out there. You don't have to rush him out there and force him to be the playmaker he was at Arizona State, you can slowly bring him along. And I think because of that, from a fantasy perspective, the stock that he had post-draft, yeah, you want to, you know, probably make him your wide receiver five, um, you know, have him on your bench, but wide receiver five within his offense and keep him around, keep him on that roster until you decide to move on from, let's say, a Josh Gordon then you can start to feel comfortable putting him in the flex spot or maybe even your wide receiver three before, you know, so I would say don't worry about Harry first half of the season. It's the second half that I think he's going to give you more bang for your buck. And we were talking about rookie wide receivers just last week. And Harry was a guy that you weren't necessarily super high on you uh, like DK Metcalf, Miles Boykin, Debo Samuel, uh, Nikhil Harry didn't really make it into that top group. Uh, now that we know Josh Gordon is also back, do you look at Nikhil Harry as someone who, unless you're in a very deep league, is totally off the draft board? Or do you think there's still some juice there for him to be a late-round flyer regardless of your league size or format? Yeah, there's still room for him to be a, a late-round flyer. Uh, he's probably now moved into the sleeper role uh, because at the end of the day, it's Gordon Edelman, run game, and then you look at Harry or whomever they're going to have as that third guy. But I'm pretty sure it's going to be Harry. But, you know, right now, Demarius Thomas on the pup list. Uh, Braxton Berrios, I think he's probably going to be more inclined to be a returner. And uh, they really like Jacoby Myers out of NC State. So what role can he carve out? So I think right now stock is down for Nikhil Harry. They're more into that sleeper, late-round flyer guy that you keep on your roster. And, to, and st- until you start to see him get more reps, um, 
within the regular offense throughout the course of the regular season. That way you can uh, feel feel free to put him in the lineup. Is there a role here for Philip Dorsett to play at all, or is he uh, sort of right, written off when Josh Gordon is fully up to speed and running? I mean, there's a role early on, but at the end of the day, he's been there, what, the last two years? Yeah. So, I mean, when you're looking at Philip Dorsett, I, I just don't, I don't see a guy that's going to keep Gordon off the bench. I don't see a guy that's going to keep uh, Nikhil Harry off the bench. I see a guy that's maybe, you know, mm-hmm. he could probably, in real life, he's probably a good trade piece as opposed to a guy uh, that that can be a factor in New England. Sure. Um, really quick uh, before Brady, because obviously we got to talk about Tom Brady here. Run game affected at all? Um, it, it, do you, does it take anything off of Sony Michelle's plate? Does it change the way they use James White at all? Or are we just assuming this is just another weapon? Run game really doesn't uh, change at all, or the the way they deploy their running backs. Maybe it's a better way to think of it. Doesn't change at all with Josh Gordon back. Yeah, I think it's just more of the same. I think they will continue to, to operate their running game how they do it. Uh, I think they do a great job of getting all those backs involved. And I think that'll continue just adding another weapon in Josh Gordon. So in, in my eyes, it's going to make those guys job a lot easier as far as uh, running the football is concerned. All right. Now, Brady, I, I, I'm not going to ask you if this is a be- if this is a good thing for Tom Brady. I think this is obviously a good thing for Tom Brady. What I am interested in is how good could this be for Tom Brady? Does this totally change the way you look at him? As a fantasy quarterback this season? No, not really. I mean, this isn't, you know, let me get this out there right now. This isn't Randy Moss coming, you know, and this isn't the 2007 Patriots. You know, I think it's going to be more along the lines of what we saw last year, 29 to maybe 30 touchdowns. So I think Tom Brady is still going to be around what he has been from a fantasy football perspective. Um, I don't see 2007. I don't see 2010. I don't see 2015 coming back uh, for Tom Brady. I think, you know, at some point age will will kick in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we'll see him be more along the lines of what we saw last year, uh, maybe even 2016 as opposed to what we saw um, back in those other years. I mentioned when he led the league in touchdown passes. Well, uh, Josh Gordon played 11 games with the Patriots last year. He caught 40 balls, 720 yards, and three touchdowns. He made some impressive plays down the field for this team where does that fit in and how does that affect Brady? How does it affect what they can do having that element back in the offense? How how do he and Brady fit together in that way? Well, it's perfect because Brady, I still think, throws one of the more beautiful deep balls, uh, high arcing, allowing the receiver to run underneath it. I think he does a great job with that. Despite being 42 years old, I think he still can get the ball deep. But having a guy like Josh Gordon just – completely, in my opinion, opens up the entire intermediate area of the field. And that's where Brady tends to thrive. So does is there anyone who could could have let, – let's pretend Josh Gordon didn't get reinstated. Is, this, is there anyone who could have filled that role on this team, or is this now a completely new element that they get to fold in? It would have been to kill Harry. But now with Gordon, you, you, know, you have Edelman that you, you're taking a, a, a you know, closer look at. You know, Harry is going to be a, a late-round option. Um, that could also command that intermediate area of the field. And I'm not saying Gordon is going to be strictly a deep threat, but has that capability. I just think that, um, you know, Gordon's there. Edelman's going to have a lot more space to run. Um, and if and as they work in that third receiver, whether it's Nikhil Harry, which it will more than likely be, they spent the first round pick on him, 
or even a guy like Jacoby Myers, whom they really like as well, could also see some time. And, and I think all of those guys will thrive in that intermediate area. The thing, the difference between Myers and Harry, Harry has that that ability to take a short pass a long way uh, because of his run after the catch skills. I want to ask you one more thing about Harry, and this is maybe not right on the Josh Gordon topic, but you know the, the Patriots used a late first round pick a couple years ago on Sony Michelle, and it was you know at a time when you know uh, passing on running backs is in vogue, and you don't really spend a first round pick on a running back, and then the Patriots do it, and they immediately feature Sony Michelle. Should we put that same sort of stock in the pick on Harry that the Patriots, especially a, a team that is constantly in win now mode? would not use a premium pick like that on a guy if they didn't imagine him being an impact player right away? Yeah, you could expect him to play. Um, one of the the highlights of, or one of the, the strengths of Nikhil Harry's game is his football IQ. According to his coaches, according to uh, people close to the program, they speak highly of his ability to be almost like a coach out there, you know, playing a position. And if you're playing inside, which he can do, He's a guy that that has the IQ because you have to be a little bit uh, smart to be able to get through zone coverage, knowing when to where to sit down, knowing how to read things on the fly. Harry does a great job with that. And because of the fact he's not a burner, he's a guy that's going to try to win with strength and also some quickness. But after the catch is where he, he turns into a threat. I think that's how he's going to be utilized a lot in, in New England. So you said the same similar thing about Josh Gordon, that you will know that he is back to being Josh Gordon when you see him make those big plays after the catch. He's got two weeks, right, to get ready for the regular season. The Patriots play. The Patriots' first game is about three weeks away, something like that, uh, two and a half weeks away. What does he need to do between now and then to be ready to be Josh Gordon uh, for that week one matchup? He just has to play. I mean, once you get out there, it's like riding a bike. And as soon as he can get out there, whenever he gets off this this list or what have you, mm-hmm. um, he just has to play. And, and as long as he's playing and, you know, and playing in the preseason, getting those live reps because you can't fake live in practice. So if he's getting those live game reps and he's getting that consistency uh, within his process and within his his structure and his his schedule, he'll be fine. I, I just, he just has to play. Do, can he be that at week one or is there going to be a little bit of rust that has to get knocked off? Well, we won't know until he plays. <laughs> so, you know, that's what I'm saying. He he has to play. Um, if if you know, if he's out there, we'll find out pretty quickly. Right now, we don't know because we hadn't seen him. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I can't wait to see him, and I think it's going to be something very fun to watch, very fun to see. And I think uh, most people are going to be pulling for for Josh Gordon to get back to the once dominant receiver uh, that he was. Uh, we're going to finish this up by playing what has quickly become our favorite game here on the advanced route. Uh, I'm going to uh, give you some receivers who are going right in that range where you peg Josh Gordon and you tell me if you like the other receiver or Josh Gordon better. So we'll just use that, that 30 number uh, cutoff as, as uh, where we look for uh, receivers uh, for Josh Gordon to compare against uh, wide receiver 25 right now by ADP is Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, are you taking Alshon or Josh Gordon? If you're drafting right now today, Elshon. All right. Tyler Boyd is 26. Who do you like better there? Boyd. 27 is Allen Robinson. Are you taking Robinson or are you taking Josh Gordon? I'll take Gordon over Robinson. 
Okay, so we're bumping him up a, a spot there, at least compared to ADP. Uh, I'm interested, why would you take Gordon over Robinson? Just because Ro- Allen Robinson is a guy who has been getting quite a bit of love from the fantasy community over the last month or so. Tom Brady. <laughs> You're telling me Mitch Trubisky isn't Tom Brady? If you listen to Chicago fans, they will tell you that Mitch Trubisky is just a few players away, a few defenses away, a few offensive line players away, a few coaching staffs away from being <laughs> Pat Mahomes. Sounds like a like a pretty pretty big pieces to be missing. If if Mitchell <laughs> Trubisky had a kicker, then he would have won MVP. That's what you're hearing from Chicago fans. And you're not you're not in on that train. No. All right. This is, a, this is a team that passed on Patrick Mahomes. We can't let that slide. They they passed on Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson for Mitchell Trubisky. Yeah. Let that sink in. <laughs> uh, it, uh, it's uh, sunk in very well for uh, the person you're talking to who is uh, born and raised and still lives in Chicago. I, uh, I know it very well. I was a big Deshaun Watson fan that draft. Uh, you know, we're uh, hoping for big things in 2019, but that's uh, another topic for another podcast. Let's hit wide receiver 28 is Robbie Anderson. Do you like him or do you like uh, Josh Gordon better? That's a good one. I, I think that one could be a push, but I would probably go a little bit more to uh, Gordon because I think the big guy in New York this year will be Jamison Crowder. Really? You like uh, you prefer Crowder to Robbie Anderson? Well, Anderson to me reminds me a lot of Josh Gordon, you know, mm-hmm. and, and not that he's going to he gets suspended or misses seasons. Right. Robbie Anderson tends to disappear a lot, you know, and it's not because of any fault of his own. I think he's excellent, but he can be missing in action a lot of times during the ball game. And I, I just I think in that case, I would probably trust uh, Josh Gordon. You put any stock into the seemingly growing rapport toward the end of the season between Robbie Anderson and Sam Darnold? It's always going to be that, you know, it would people can always say, oh, so-and-so receiver, you know, just really starting to get some good rapport with. I mean, at the end of the day, you just got to acknowledge what, what talent is and what, and does player a have that talent because talent going to warrant chemistry regardless. If I'm playing with Jerry Rice or if I'm playing with JJ Stokes, I'm going to throw the ball to Jerry Rice every time, mm-hmm. you know, and not because I have chemistry with Jerry Rice because Jerry Rice is the better player. So he's going to catch the ball more than likely. He's going to get open and gonna catch the ball. And there's no slight to J.J. Stokes, who I like coming out of UCLA. I'm just saying I'm going with the better player. And if I had to choose between Robbie Anderson and um, Josh Gordon, I'm probably, especially with Tom Brady throwing the football, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to side with, Josh Gordon and Tom Brady. All right. I want to fire through these people after at wide receiver 30 and lower uh, really quick because we got to get to our next topic. I'm going to save wide receiver 29 for last. I think it's a pretty interesting comparison. 31 is Jarvis Landry. 32 is Sammy Watkins. 33 is Will Fuller. And 34 is Curtis Samuel. So I'll give you Jarvis Landry, Sammy Watkins, Will Fuller, Curtis Samuel. Do you like Gordon better than any of those four? Maybe Sammy Watkins. But you're taking Landry, Fuller, and Samuel all over Josh Gordon? I'm taking Gordon over uh, Watkins and Samuel. Watkins and Samuel. So you've got him slotted in between. you got Landry, Fuller over him, then Gordon, then Watkins and Samuel. In that order. Okay. So, yeah, so you, so I think it's pretty fair to call him about your wide receiver 30. I think that's a fair spot for him. The last guy I want to talk about, uh, and this is because of an injury, what makes this an interesting comparison are you willing to bet that Josh Gordon 
in maybe 16 games, maybe with a little bit of rest to start the year, has a better season than an injured A.J. Green who's going to play maybe 10 to 12 games? That's a good question. So you're saying if Gordon is is out there for a full 16. Yes. And Green is out there for 10 to 12. Yes. Because that's about, I mean, that's about what the injury is calling for, right? That he's going to miss some about, about a month of the season. So maybe worst case scenario is 10. So maybe we can let's let's say AJ Green for 12 or Josh Gordon for 16. Let's call it that. I'm gonna go Josh Gordon. Now we've seen we've seen AJ Green at 10 games back in 2016. 66 receptions, 964 yards, and four touchdowns. Every other year he's been a full uh, you know, 16 game. Anytime he's played 16 games, he's gone over a thousand yards. Now he also went over a thousand yards in 2014, playing 13 games. So if we're going with your arbitrary 10, um, last year he played nine and got 694. So I am going with Gordon in that case because I think Gordon can, you know, it's if he's out there for a full 16, I can I, I think he'll get the get to the thousand yard mark in six or seven touchdowns. Well, Josh Gordon definitely has been a wide receiver one in the past. Uh, A.J. Green is typically a wide receiver one. We'll see if either of them can get there this season. And, yes, I am with you. I think uh, Josh Gordon right around wide receiver 30 is a fair way to think about him as we head to the last few weeks of the uh, of the preseason and really the heart of draft season. want to move on to our second topic here on the advanced route this week, Emery, and that is – at the tight end position, where we have seen some players become tight end by designation, but wide receiver one by production. Uh, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Zach Ertz, these guys were staples of fantasy championship teams last year because they put up wide receiver one numbers at the tight end position. They were a huge advantage for anyone who had them, and they enter this year expected to do the same. Travis Kelsey is routinely taken as a top 15 pick. Uh, George Kittle and Zach Ertz are a little bit later, but you're not really seeing either of them make it beyond the first 30, maybe 35 picks of a draft. So owners, again, are expecting big things out of them. Um, I want to ask you first, is there anything structurally going on that maybe uh, us lay people would not necessarily notice, but uh, that you have been able to pick up on that is making these game-breaking tight ends uh, just such great weapons for the way offenses are run today. Not anything structurally is just more along the lines of, you know, what we've seen the game go to. For instance, when you look back at, and, and Jimmy Johnson was the first that I remember to to do this, when he, he had an idea that the game was getting faster. And so he wanted to get faster defensively to keep up with these offenses. So you start to see strong safeties become linebackers and linebackers start to become defensive ends, and these big defensive ends start to become defensive tackles. So now you have all this speed on the field. And I think that's what what has happened with the tight end position. You know, back in the day, those guys would be big, slow, wide receivers, and or they would have played basketball. So now you have these athletic tight ends that are not fast enough to be outside receivers but they're faster than your your standard outside linebacker or strong safety, and they're fluid and athletic enough because of probably a basketball background um, or just their raw athleticism to be able to run routes and be that fluid athlete at the position that makes themselves a mismatch. So we're starting to see these guys a little bit more now 
as opposed to back in the day. Because, again, these would have been tall, big, slow receivers. So they filled out their frame. They've become bigger pass catchers on the inside. And that's what we've, we've seen the growth in this position. Uh, the, you know, Because at one point in time, it was usually just one guy that can be that threat. You saw Kellen Winslow, and then you slowly go through. Uh, I think Keith Jackson with the Philadelphia Eagles was was another type guy. That was a, a you know pretty good athlete at the position, and then you move on to your Tony Gonzalez's. So we haven't seen that type often. We've seen more of your standard inline guys. Let's say like a Heath Miller, um, that played with Pittsburgh, but now you know with the Antonio Gates of the world and and that whole you know he ushering in that whole era. That's what we're seeing now more so than anything structurally. I think guys at that position are finding a home at receiver. I mean, sorry, at tight end, as opposed to trying to force their way into basketball or force their way into a, a receiver role that they're not equipped to be. So if, if Travis Kelsey were born in 1970, he would have been bred as a receiver, but now he's been able to be brought up as a tight end his whole football career. And that that is what is leading to this uh, like little mini tight end boom that we're seeing right now. Or he would have been asked to play outside linebacker or something like that mm-hmm. because he's athletic. He can move. He's big. Um, and I think it's funny because you see a lot of this in uh, from a running back linebacker standpoint. A lot of these linebackers probably would have been great running backs, you know, back in the day, 6'2", 225. But, you know, maybe they're nowadays they're probably best suited to play on the other side of the ball. Instead of trying to, you know, be that pounder uh, on, on offense at that height and that weight, so we're seeing, you know, guys just picks be smarter in in terms of picking what's best suited for them and what could get them to the next level pretty quickly. How much of this is the players themselves, and how much of this is the environment? How much? How much is is Travis Kelsey? I mean, obviously Travis Kelsey is a special talent. Um, but how, how much is it that he is able to do? He's unique to, to the rest of the guys at his position versus he's got a, a smart, forward-thinking coach in Andy Reid. He's got the right environment around him in Kansas City. I assume it's a combination of those two factors. Yeah, it's a combination because we've seen it happen with um, Jimmy Graham. Mm-hmm. Once he, when he was in New Orleans, everyone was looking for the next Jimmy Graham. He leaves New Orleans and he becomes you know, Dallas Goddard. You know, so I think that it, it is two parts of, you know, one, his skill and one, the opportunity and, and situation. So I think it's a little bit of both when you look at it that way. All right. Well, we know what to expect or we think we know what to expect generally from Kelsey Kittle and Ertz this season. They're both they're all going to be high picks. They're all going to be expected to put up low end wide receiver one production, maybe a little less than that for Kittle and Ertz, but certainly Kelsey will be. Um they're not the only tight ends who are getting drafted early on in drafts. There are three guys specifically who I want to ask you about and wonder if fantasy drafters are putting too much belief in their uh, ability to join that class or threaten that class of tight end, or if that this is well-placed and you think that these are truly guys who could you know, come close to being in the Kelsey Kittle-Ertz group or at least close enough to justify where they're going in drafts. The first of the three is O.J. Howard, uh, a big-time passing, pass-friendly offense in Tampa Bay with Bruce Arians. 
but a lot of other mouths to feed in that passing game, specifically Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Where does Howard fit in this group, and do you think that he can be a a guy who jumps up and puts up low-end wide receiver one or high-end wide receiver two numbers from the tight end position? I think he can be that guy. You know, I I like O.J. Howard. I like his talent. I think he was underutilized in a previous regime. And I think now, I mean, if you look at Bruce Arians, the last true threat he had at tight end probably was when he was with the Steelers in uh, Heath Miller. So I know he had Jermaine Gresham in Arizona, I believe. And um, I can't remember who he had at the time with the Colts, uh, but they're not O.J. Howard, neither one of those guys. So looking at that as the backdrop, I would say Howard has a, a great opportunity in his offense. Is there anything in his game that will give Bruce Arians the uh, the freedom um, that that – Andy Reid has to use with Kelsey or that Kyle Shanahan has to use with Kittle? Is there something that can make Tampa one of these real tight end focused passing games? Because he can block. And so he's going to be on the field. And when you have a guy that can block like that, but also is a fantastic route runner, has great athleticism, he's going to warrant attention. But because of that ability to block, you don't tip your hand in saying, okay, We're bringing in our pass catching tight end. That's what makes, you know, Kelsey a threat, Kittle a threat, Ertz a threat. Now, they don't have to be Orlando Pace in the blocking department, but they have to be willing and capable and have that want to. Howard has that, had that experience at Alabama in in doing so. You combine that ability to block along with all his athletic gifts as a receiver, he's going to be on the field. Fantasy owners are going to be a little bit wary. I don't don't want to say wary. It's probably the wrong word given how high he's going in drafts. But if there is a concern, I'll say it like that. If there is a concern about O.J. Howard, I don't think anyone doubts his talent. I don't think anyone doubts what uh, Tampa's offense can be, especially when you think about what their defense is most likely going to be. Um, If there's any concern about O.J. Howard, it is that Mike Evans is going to command a ton of targets. Chris Godwin is everyone's favorite uh, breakout wide receiver this year. Cameron Braid is still there. And while O.J. Howard's clearly the tight end one, Cameron Braid's going to have a role in the offense most likely. He's always been a favorite of Jameis Winston's. Is there any concern about target share for O.J. Howard? Or do you think that Bruce Arians uh, thinks that this is a guy who, I I don't care who else is on this team, we got to make sure he's got a big role in the offense? I don't think it matters. I actually think Brayton Howard has, uh, they have enough room to eat. Yeah, I know everyone is on Godwin. And I mean, to me, Godwin is a solid player. I don't know where this this hype is coming from. He's Muhammad Sanu to me. And so they have Howard and Brayton, two instant mismatches. Jameis has great rapport with Brayton, obviously, inside the red zone. Howard is the better talent. Both of those guys are going to eat. And who is going to run the ball for, for Tampa Bay? <laughs> That's the weakness. Should get your get your knee cleaned up, and maybe you can uh, get up there. That would make it e- an even bigger weakness. <laughs> <laughs> that would make it a travesty. <laughs> oh man! Well, I, I think the, the explanation I think for Godwin, just to not leave that just hanging, I guess, is that he had the like, hundred forty yards and eight touchdowns um, uh, last year with Adam Humphreys still having a major role in the offense with Deshaun Jackson still being there. So I think a lot. What a lot of people are seeing is you lose those two guys, and Godwin boom steps right up and takes it. I think there's something to be said that maybe OJ Howard gets a little bit more of that as well. That's what I'm saying, especially when you have another 
uh, tight end like OG Howard on the roster and Cameron Brait. So it's like, man, you know, we can get both of those guys involved because we know offenses don't, I mean, defenses don't have one guy that can match up versus an athletic receiving tight end. They damn sure don't have two. So you can put both those guys out there and they can serve as your quasi third and fourth receivers. So I, I think both of those guys are going to be some big time fantasy players uh, this this upcoming season. And again, I just see a lot of Muhammad Sanu in uh, and it's not knocking Muhammad Sanu. Mm-hmm. He's a very strong in reality, number two uh, for uh, the Falcons. But he's going to be usurped this year by the uh, Calvin Ridley because Calvin Ridley is just a better player and more explosive and dynamic. He's going to warrant more opportunities. I just see Godwin being a good player, not a great one. How often do you think Tampa can split O.J. Howard out as, you know, looking like a traditional receiver and use he and Brait together where Brait is more an inline guy, uh, you know, lining up in a three-point stance looking like a tight end and Howard's out there looking like a giant wide receiver? I think maybe, what, 30% you could do that. Uh, For the most part, they're going to operate as tight end one and H-back. So they're going to be aligned there. And sometimes you may want to, depending on the personnel, everything changes week to week in the matchups. So I, I wouldn't say, oh, yeah, they're going to have him out there a lot. You know, it all depends on who they're playing that, that particular week. All right. The second guy I want to talk about here is Hunter Henry. This is a guy who I can speak for myself, have had a ton of expectations for ever since he broke into the league. Really thought that, you know, once Antonio Gates went away, that he would step up. Uh, Gates stuck around a little bit longer than expected. And then Hunter Henry has dealt with some injuries, missed all of last year except for uh, the playoffs uh, after tearing his ACL uh, in, I think it was OTAs. I think it was like May when he tore his ACL. Uh, But this is a guy who I still have a ton of hope for. He, of the three guys we're going to talk about, Howard being one, and we've got another guy who listeners can probably guess who it is uh, that we're going to get to. Henry's my personal favorite guy of this trio. I just think that in that offense, he can really take off. When you watch Hunter Henry, what do you see? Do you see a guy who can be a special tight end, um, or do you see someone who maybe is really is more of a you know, second-tier guy like we've got him coming into this season? He reminds me a lot of Kittle. And what I like about Henry is that he puts the ball in the end zone. And, you know, give me guys that score touchdowns any, 10 times out of 10. His only concern for me would be health. And I know you can't really predict injuries. They are freak occurrences, but I need to see him out there fully before I know he's he's ready to go. But he is a guy that that's going to score a lot of touchdowns. I think he's going to be in that seven to eight touchdown range for for a tight end. If he's out there for a full sixteen, with the way I think this offense will go without having a Melvin Gordon, he may even flirt with ten touchdowns. But I I just have a little bit of hesitation with with you know the health. What is in his game that reminds you of George Kittle? The fact that he's fluid. He can get in and out of his breaks. He he does a good job in adjusting routes on the fly. Um, really good hands, good body control, um, and, and is a, a solid rack player, you know, run at the catch guy. So I like all of those um, little nuances about his game. It, it kind of reminds me of, of George Kittle. I think it's a lot probably to ask him uh, to be Kittle exactly. Uh, after the catch, Kittle set a record for tight ends last year, uh, was the first non-running back to lead the NFL in yards after the catch in 
a very long time. I can't even remember what the uh, the year on it was. But is there some? Can the Chargers use him in that way? Can the Chargers try to scheme him for those plays where uh, it is designed to be a run after catch play more than just uh, what happens through the air? I think a lot of that is you know you got to look at each big play he had. Maybe it was a busted coverage. And it just so happens there was nobody there. He can outrun uh, whoever was in the vicinity to the end zone. Maybe it was a, a, a terrible tackle attempt. So there's a lot of factors that you really can't say, okay, we're going to scheme this guy to be wide the hell open. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it, it, a lot of factors are at play. Some of it was just dumb luck and credit Kittle for taking advantage of it. Yeah, I remember one, it was uh, like week 15 or so where it was just a horrible busted uh, coverage where he – uh, scored Kittle scored like an 80 yard touchdown and there was never a defender within like 20 yards of him at any point except for you know three seconds after the snap oh but don't but they'll the you know the media give credit for Shanahan they'll call him a, a genius <laughs> a, a super genius he designed an 80 yard breakaway play for the tight end like I swear man they all they got to do is put a guy in motion and you know football twitter goes nuts mm-hmm. that's the next offensive guru oh wow you see the motion he used and the shifts like bro like shifts been around since the single wing like it's not new <laughs> football's not that hard right that's the, that's I, the hate other slogan. I, I hate football <laughs> um we uh so so we got howard we got henry the third guy here evan ingram um i guess i'll start since we've already talked about the other two uh when you just look at these three uh, where how do you rank him? Where do you put Ingram against him? And yeah, just tie the, the one, two, three with just Howard Henry Ingram. You're going into a fantasy draft. I guess I'll ask you first. All things being equal, who is the best football player of the three? Howard is the best football player of the three. Um, situation wise, I probably would put Ingram ahead of Henry because I actually like Ingram's situation this year. No Odell Beckham. No. Uh, Golden Tate for the first four games. This passing game is devoid of threats. And he's having arguably his best camp. In my opinion, he's running around here with a lot of confidence. He's catching everything. He's looking crisp. He's healthy. He he looks fluid. And he has the same athleticism of a George Kittle, uh, but he's faster. You know, he ran a 4-3-9 at the combine, but he plays like a 4-5 guy, which is still fast for a tight end. And I think he's primed for, in his case, a breakout season. When you say that, when you say he ran a 4-3-9, but he plays like a 4-5 guy, what does that mean in practice? The 40-yard dash is all about technique. It's never about raw speed. Obviously, raw speed plays a a part in it. But when you look at a 4-3 guy, let's say, uh, who ran a 4-3? Let's say Tyreek Hill ran a 4-3, right? Do you think Tyreek Hill and Evan Ingram are the same speed? No. Exactly. So that tells you that the 40-yard dash is is not relevant to football, but it's all about the start, the technique, how you, you know, how you get out the blocks. But when you watch him over time, you're like, okay, this guy is probably a four or five guy, and which is still pretty fast. Okay. You know, you would say he's probably faster or slightly faster than George Kittle, right? Mm-hmm. So but neither Kittle or Ingram is as fast as Tyreek Hill. So you're saying the way we, that our brains are trained to think about the 40-yard dash is that when you actually translate 
Evan Ingram to the football field and him actually doing football things, the speed is more like what a 4-5 guy's speed is than the 4-3-9 he ran when he was in shorts at the combine. The only guy I've seen run a time 4-2 and play 4-2 in football pads was Rocket Ishmael and Bo Jackson and Herschel Walker, all those guys, and Deion Sanders. Those guys, and even here's how tricky the, the 40 is. You would probably say, if you saw De'Anthony Thomas at Oregon, like, man, that dude is clearly 4-2. Mm-hmm. And he ran, I think, a 4-4 something, 4-5 something at the combine. There's no way in hell De'Anthony Thomas is a 4-5 guy. Yeah. So it's all about the the technique, and it doesn't necessarily translate exactly the same way to the football field. Exactly. You were in New York, so you've obviously seen a decent amount of Evan Ingram this year um, or this summer. Is there anything different I mean, when we sit down to watch the Giants play week one? Should we is there going to be anything about him that we're like, oh, wow, this looks like a different player this year? Well, he's healthy. Number one, he's confident because he's healthy and it's his second year in the scheme. And so he he's where he's supposed to be. He's actually playing free and thinking on the fly. He's adjusting to things that he didn't adjust to this past season. So he's finding himself open a lot in practice. He just looks a a lot happier and a lot better this year. Is he the wide receiver one on this team? Nah, I would. I mean, it's tempting to put him there, but I would probably say the wide receiver one, at least for the next three weeks, is going to be Sterling Shepard. Wide receiver two probably is going to be Saquon Barkley, but uh, three would, would more than likely be Evan Ingram. Now, do you say that in terms of target numbers, in terms of mm, the the way he's deployed in the offense or, or both? I mean, is, is there – when you think about that, how do you think about that? I think it's more target. Um, Shepard is going to be more of your underneath guy. People should keep an eye on both Cody Latimer and Benny Fowler in this offense, um, but they're probably going to be more of two to three targets a game. I think Ingram, because of his ability and – the matchups he's going to probably draw and win. He's going to see a lot of targets there. Barkley on dump off, swings, screens, flares, uh, wheel routes, things like that. And his game breaking ability is is probably be, you know good money to get the ball to his to him pretty quickly and allow him to make somebody miss and take off. Is there any concern about Golden Tate's role in the offense as it relates to Evan Ingram? Obviously, you know they, something that goes beyond just the amount of targets that are there. Is there something that uh, the Giants are sitting there thinking, we can use Evan like this for the first four weeks, but when Golden Tate's back, then you know maybe we start to give some of those types of plays uh, to to Tate? Now, when, when he comes back, Tate is going to actually probably open things up more for Ingram because coverage dictates you have to really, you know, assign a guy for – Roll coverage toward him, key coverage toward Shepard. You have to keep eyes on uh, Barkley out in, in route, and Ingram should see a lot of one-on-one opportunities. So bringing it full circle, the same way that Josh Gordon can open things for Julian Edelman, so too can Golden Tate open things up for Evan Ingram. Yeah. All right, I want to wrap this up with a discussion uh, about these three tight ends relative to their ADPs and how you feel about them. So O.J. Howard... 
is the top uh, of these three. He is taken at 57.4 overall or in, in terms of an ADP. So that's uh, about the end of the fifth round. Just a couple of slots later is Evan Ingram, 59.3. And then you have to go about a full round later to find Hunter Henry at an average pick of 67.5. So knowing that about the three of them, you say Howard's the best, then Ingram, then Henry. That's how the drafters are seeing it as well. But knowing that about them, does that change the way you look at them going into uh, a fantasy draft? Do you think that uh, because of the the, uh, the draft stock you have to spend on them, is there any change in your rankings of how you view them uh, as draft day values? No, and I think that lays it out perfectly because I, I believe that a lot of the hesitation with Henry is due to concern for his health. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he'd be too, you know. And Ingram, I think people are ready for him to have that breakout season because they have no one else in, in their theoretically in their mind. So I think that ranking is probably ideal for right now. All right, and then we can finish it with this. We started talking about the tight end saying that Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Zach Ertz, that these guys were uh, championship makers almost. Um, obviously, anything can happen in one fantasy matchup, but anyone who had one of those three guys more likely than not had not only a good team, but a very good championship contending fantasy team. Um, we can cut Henry off because uh, of your uh, obvious and understandable reservations, but are, are Howard and Ingram, can either of them be those sorts of guys this year or will either of them be those sorts of guys this year that we're looking back in December as seeing OJ Howard or Evan Ingram on 25% of fantasy championship teams. I think the guy that can jump into that uh, class is not the one you listed or any one of these guys we've talked about. It's probably Mike Jasicki out of Miami. Okay. Well, now we got to go a little longer. Why is it him? Criminally underutilized as a rookie. As a second-round pick rookie, this guy was not on the field uh, for Adam Gates' Gates's offense. First thing they do when uh, Flores gets down there, Brian Flores, the new head coach, and, and practice, they start going inside the red zone one-on-ones with Mike Jusicki split out wide. This is I'm telling you, football is not that complicated. So I would say Mike Jusicki is going to be the guy that is going to be the kittle this year that everybody's going to be like, wow, he came out of nowhere. Like, who is this guy? Mike Jasicki, I think is going to see a lot of targets and going to be a he's going to be a big time threat um, in, in fantasy this year. I, I like Mike Jasicki. I would also I don't want to throw him in the, in that class of Kelsey Kittle and Ertz, but Dallas Goddard is going to be good too. He's going to be mm-hmm. in this class of Howard Henry and Ingram, but Jasicki is the guy I think is going to usurp those guys and jump into that class because of usage finally. Zicky was a he's a nice parallel to Kittle because of ADP. George Kittle last year at this time was going in the uh, I don't know, like the 16th round of a typical draft. I mean, George Kittle was one of the last 30 or 40 picks, if that maybe even closer to the end of most drafts uh, across the country. Uh, Looking at ADP, what would you say, Emery, if I told you that um, Mike Zicky's not in the top 20? by tight end ADP. Some guys who are in the top 20, Jack Doyle, Kyle Rudolph, Jimmy Graham, Greg Olson, TJ Hawkinson, Jordan Reed. Uh, is that is that insane that Kasicki can't get ahead of those guys? Some people don't see it until they saw it already. If you look at the last couple of 
shows we've done or listen to the last couple of shows we've done, when these discussions that we're having drop, the following day, something from this show comes true. You know, you start to see a report coming from camp. Oh, so-and-so is looking great. He's going to be a big-time option this year. I'm telling you, the people that that are loyal listeners to this show <laughs> are going to realize they got a gem in Jasicki. And the majority of people out there won't get on board until someone already either uh, in, until Jasicki does something or the national crowd gets on board after they listen to this podcast because you know they do. And so when they listen to this podcast and hear that we're talking about Mike Jasicki, next thing you know, you're going to see all kind of Jasicki articles. Keep in mind, how many Lamar Jackson sleeper articles have you seen since <laughs> our first episode? It, it's been more than one. That's definitely for sure. <laughs> how many how many of those shows how many of the, these uh a, a lot of the, I, there's another one that that slips my mind but i know lamar jackson sleeper articles and miles boykin uh, all of that is now starting to come <laughs> uh, i've seen way too much lamar jackson talk the way he's not even a sleeper now well, so uh, the advanced route is uh hopefully a trendsetter then Emory. it is a trendsetter <laughs> well if uh Yusuke's definitely the guy if you were looking for a george kittle in terms of not only what he can do, but where he is going in drafts and how much he's going to cost you on draft day. I think Yusicki certainly fits that more than O.J. Howard, more than Evan Ingram, more than Hunter Henry, more than anyone on the board. And that's going to do it for us in this episode of the Advanced Route. Emery, another great show, uh, my friend. And uh, it, it's I want to say it's hard to believe, but it's such a slow buildup that, you know what, it's easy to believe that we've got one more of these and then the second one from now, it will be leading up to week one of the NFL season. I can't wait, man. It's been fun. It's been fun being a trendsetter, um, <laughs> you know, being everybody's source. Yeah. Well, hopefully so, we can hopefully we can be proven right and continue that during the regular season. Thank you again to everyone for listening. Uh, this is the advanced route. You know what to do. Uh, if you like what you hear, click that follow button up at the top. You can follow Emery on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. I'm your host, Michael Beller. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you right here next week on the Advanced Route. Thank you.